Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello, and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversation easier. I am honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people to help along the way. Now, first, thank you to all of you who've been reaching out and telling me you've pre-ordered my book. As you know, it came in the mail recently. I can't even believe it. And I'm very excited. I recently spoke at a conference, the System Success Mastermind, and I got to show people like the hard copy, this advanced reader's copy. And it was enormously exciting to see people holding my <laughs> red book in their hands. Like literally, I've worked on it for six years, interviewing the best people on this podcast. Um, and you've supported me while I've been reading studies and writing and rewriting and editing and re-editing. I'm so grateful. I'm so overwhelmed. And for those of you who haven't ordered it yet, you can pre-order it anywhere. It's sold on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and your local indie store. So speaking of new books, we've got a great author today. So as parents, we often think the big things that we've done with our kids, the trips, the outings, which school we chose. And we think about those things and we wonder like, have I done enough? Well, I didn't take my kids to Disney World. Well, I didn't do this. But it's actually the little things that we do each day that make the difference. While we're rushing around and express frustration or we might yell, the, what really makes the difference is that we are human and we are making an effort. And it does help us, of course, to have some extra tools to parent with intention. And we get to receive those tools today from the amazing Hunter Clark Fields, who is on our show for a second time with her new book, Raising Good Humans, every day, and we certainly need it. Hunter Clark Fields is a mindfulness mentor, mindful mama, podcast host, mom, global speaker, and number one best-selling author of Raising Good Humans. We had her on talking about that with a new book, Raising Good Humans, every day. It's out August 1st. Hunter has over 20 years of experience in meditation and yoga practices and helps moms bring more calm to their lives and and also great family co cooperation. She is a mindfulness meditation teacher, the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course and Teacher Training, and has taught mindfulness to thousands worldwide, including a recent trip to Egypt. Hunter presents talks on parenting as a certified teacher of parenting effectiveness training. In addition, Hunter coaches smart, accomplished, overstressed individuals on how to cultivate mindfulness. Hunter is the mother of two active daughters who challenge her every day to hone her craft. Her work has appeared in CNBC Make It, Parade, Paleontology, Motherhood Moment, The Hollywood <laughs> Digest, <laughs> along with 
on ABC Portland, NBC Milwaukee, and CBS South Bend, Kansas Public Radio, and many podcasts. And as part of her self-care, Hunter likes to do Scottish country dancing. Learn more about Hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com. Welcome back, Hunter, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you so much, Robin. I think I have a little tight. There must be a typo in there because I don't think my work has appeared in panic. <laughs> I was like, what are you reading? <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I do do Scottish country dance, but yes, no paleontology. I was like, I got small correction to what's happening here. Yeah, I was just like shaking my head just for a moment. And I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Note, not paleontology. Okay. Well, before we get into the swing of the show, that's really funny. Before we get into the swing of the show, can you tell us what lights you up and energizes you? Oh, well, I mean, hang out with my girls do now. I mean, so now they're 13 and 16 and you know, people are so weird about like teen girls, but I have a great time hanging out with them. And I think that because like I've done this, all this like front end work, like early childhood work to just like not be a jerk to my kids and do things better. It's actually like kind of gotten easier and easier as time goes on. And it's really, really lovely to hang out with them. So I love hanging out with them, doing things with them. And I love seeing that they like to hang, hang out with me you know, for to some degree or other, of course, they have plenty of like time alone in their rooms as teenage girls, but also the, I do love dancing. That does light mm. me up. Mm. Awesome. Well, the first thing that I underlined in your book was the phrase, parents are effectively telling children, you change your behavior and emotions so I can feel better. In this case, we're asking our children to regulate our feelings instead of us regulating our feelings. And that's a really hard truth. Mm-hmm. So in the next chapter, you talk about using meditation and mindfulness. So what is the connection between meditation and mindfulness and calming or regulating our feelings so that we are not asking our children to do it for us? Yeah, I, I, well, it, it is true. And it is funny. It's like always a wake up. I hope it's always a wake up moment when we realize that when we're like, calm down stop yelling (laughs) just like well this is not not very effective here (laughs) the irony is not lost on me (laughs) um yeah uh so with mindfulness is like this kind of like i kind of think of it as this sort of special parental brain hack that we're not utilizing to the degree that we can um because Mindfulness is like kind of like the non-reactive muscle. Like it's like kind of like going to the gym of your mind to be less reactive. And it's, you know, it's utilized by surgeons, uh, active duty, military personnel, people in prisons and CEOs, people with very high stress environments for a reason, because it really helps us to, um, to learn to, uh, to calm or regulate ourselves in a high stress environment and be able to tolerate some of the challenges and difficulties of a high stress um, environment and what it does to us as far as the sensations and feelings in our body and also realize that and be able to to be able to be with that right not to just like 
be on autopilot, which is kind of our normal way of being is that we kind of react on autopilot to things, you know, our, our stress response system is finely honed by millennia to keep us safe and alive, but, um, is not so helpful. And a lot of times in parenting, when we want to actually slow down and use our whole brain, um, and you know, it's pretty amazing. Actually a mindfulness practice, they have MRI brain scans that show that, it um, it actually ma- makes the prefrontal cortex, which is the area, the slower par- part of the brain, the area that's in, you know is involved with executive function, impulse control, problem solving ability, verbal ability, all the things we need to parent well. It actually makes that area of our brain growth thicker and stronger. And it actually, the brain scans show that it actually makes the amygdalae, which are these like two little almond shaped clusters in our brainstem that are are like, oh crap, (laughs) centers of the brain, the centers of our fight, flight, or freeze stress response. It actually makes them shrink. Wow. And it actually makes the the connectivity between the amygdalae and the rest of the nervous system shrink as well. So it's literally reshaping the brain. Um, and they're not quite sure how that happens. I kind of think it's because like, as you sit, or at least when I sit there, right, I sit there in meditation, I practice bringing my attention back to my breathing. And, you know, it's not like there's, you know, you know, pink sparkles that shoot out of my ears and I'm floating on a fluffy cloud of bliss. Like (laughs) that's not happening. Instead, I'm sitting there and all kinds of like normal stuff is coming up. I have an idea. I think of things I need to do later. Maybe some, I sense some anxiety arising. I notice all kinds of things and I'm, I just practice sitting with it and observing it. So then when you get to a moment where your kid is freaking out and you're like, ah, you, you have developed a little bit of that muscle of just observing Mm -hmm. and noticing and being able to be in your body and therefore also be in your whole brain. And, um, and that is why I think it's like the most powerful brain hack that Mm. we need for parenting. Mm. Well, let's say somebody's listening in right now and thinking I've tried meditating and I suck at it or (laughs) (laughs) I don't have time to sit still, let alone shower. What advice do you have for them? I hear you. And I completely thought I sucked at it too. I remember when I first started practicing, I'd been practicing for about two months. And after I'd been setting a timer for 10 minutes and sitting there and this is, um, and I, and I remember after about two or three months, I was like, this sucks. Like I just sit here thinking the whole time I suck at this. Like, what am I even doing? But then I looked back at over the rest of my life and that's when I realized there was actually a big change. You know, I used to go into these kind of drop into these pits, you know, I was kind of on a roller coaster of emotions and I wasn't dropping into these pits, which I had gone into for like every week or two, like for 27 years of my life. And I hadn't gone into it for like three months. And I was like, wow, that's a big, big change. So it's kind of like, it doesn't matter if you, you like, we, we kind of all suck at this because our brains are just the brain, the mind thinks just as the ears hear and the eyes see, right. Mm. You're not going to stop your mind from thinking that's not the point. You know, you'd have to have a lobotomy or just be dead. Yeah. If your brain stops thinking it's that not sounds the like goal. a drag. <laughs> yeah. Total drag. Yeah. So, so you don't want to do that. And if you don't have time, like the thing about it, that's really kind of cool is that it actually kind of makes more time in your life because as we start to single task 
and focus, and we've learned to focus our attention, we get things done more efficiently because we are more focused. Mm -hmm. And I, and I also challenge that in the way of like, so you, you don't have five minutes to do social media. Mm. Oh, is that mm. true? Right? Mm. Like, if mm. you really don't have five minutes to do social media, then let's talk. <laughs> but like, I guarantee like, like, there's probably a few like minutes small there pocket, right? Yeah, there. like, yeah, yeah, there's something yeah. there like you could, you know, you could go to the bathroom in the morning and then sit in the bathroom, like set a timer for two minutes. Mm -hmm. And that would actually have like a pretty profound effect on your life. Wow. Well, that's something to take in right there. Uh, I know that one of the other things that you mentioned that is that can make a big difference is mindful special time mm. with one of your kids. So what might that look like for a young child versus a teenager who in many cases has a lot of things to do is has a lot of scheduled items in there, you know, it, it all written out into their calendar and often in many cases would prefer to spend time with friends. Mm. Well, you know, for a little kid, it might be like, Hey, we can do some, some special time. I'm going to set a timer for 10 minutes. You've got my full attention. We're just not going to do screens. And then you, 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 practice. So when you're practicing mindfulness, mindfulness is mindfulness of something, right? Like when I'm practicing sitting meditation for me, it's mindfulness of the breath, right? You're putting your attention on something. And so in this case, you're putting your attention on your child mm -hmm. with a attitude of kindness and curiosity, right? You get distracted, you bring your attention back to your child, you practice being really being there. Um, and that's little kids just kind of soak that up. It's like yeah. just putting all these deposits in their relationship bank account. It's the same with a teenager. It's basically the same thing. It's just now you have to think about a teenager's schedule. And it's kind of like a teenager. I almost think of like, as you shift, as you think about your relationship with your teen, it's almost like thinking about your relationship with your, if you have a parenting partner or spouse, right? Like you both have busy lives. You want to think about what they're into and what you're into, and you kind of want to enter into their life a little bit more and invite them into your life. So you kind of want to think about like, well, what could we do together that we both like, you know, and that is kind of like gives us some time side by side. And then again, it's just, it really is a matter of like, as best you can, like get the phone out of the picture. Like when I go on a walk with my 16 year old, we both leave our phones home. Mm -hmm. We both want to, we walk in the woods and we love it. Right. Um, so what are those things? How can you, you know, can you invite your kid out for, you know, an ice cream cone? Like that works kind of for every age or whatever it is, you know, it's, it's about inviting them, inviting them into share time with you in ways that feel good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. One of the, the areas that I starred and underlined in your book was telling yourself a different story. It's very human to bash yourself and tell yourself you're a terrible parent. Mm -hmm. I have absolutely done this many times. You were speaking to me in that section, um, as I now have two teenagers and it's easy to, to start telling yourself that when things go off the rails, you discuss the importance of 
telling yourself a different story, the kindest version of the story by starting with, I'm having a thought that. Can you mm. explain this strategy? I love the strategy so much. And it comes from the ACT, um, acceptance and commitment therapy work, like from Russ. Oh, dang it. What's his last name? Great book, The Illustrated Happiness Tra Trap. I love it. The illustrated version, but um, Harris, Russ Harris. Anyway, this is about distancing yourself from the thoughts, right? Like, which is something that mindfulness really kind of helps us do inherently, you know, where we say, oh, thinking, we're noting our thoughts and things like that. And ACT kind of takes that a step, step further in that, that kind of, I love that phrase. I'm having the thought that, and I had to do this the other day. I'm having the thought that, and for me, I have to actually say it out loud. I'm having the thought that blah, 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 blah. And then when you hear what your thought is, out loud and you look at it as a thought, it's like, oh, wow, am I really saying that to myself? You know, it's it's this kind of like just, you know, the thoughts I think of as like a waterfall or they're, they're just coming, right? Like the mind thinks just as the ears hear. And when we stay, put use that phrase, I'm having the thought that it's like we're stepping out in front of the waterfall and looking at it. And we mm -hmm. get when we get this perspective, then we can decide, is this helpful? Is this not helpful? And it's so, I mean, it's so helpful to do this because um, our thoughts are just thoughts. They're images and words in our head. They are not reality, right? Mm -hmm. They're just stories that we are telling ourselves or images that we're seeing in our heads. And our brains are in a dark black box up there, right? Trying to predict the future so that we will feel safe, so that we can be safe and survive. And so it, we generate thoughts in, in that, in that purpose, but these aren't always so helpful. They don't generally make us happy. So we have, we can start to then when we can notice them, it's really great. That's a brilliant thing to do because it just interrupts the pattern automatically rather than the autopilot of like this thought, then that negative thought, and then that thought, and then you feel horrible. And then you just want to like eat a pint of ice cream. Mm -hmm. You <laughs> interrupt it. And that in itself can like kind of stop that neural patterning and start a new pattern. And it's all about just what you practice grows stronger. Yeah, I love that. I I have a, a strategy that works well with what you're saying when children are having negative thoughts about themselves and they tell themselves, I am ugly, I am lazy, all those different things that they can look at the thought and otherize it mm. by asking them, whose voice is that? Mm. Who's actually saying that? And mm. Often, even I do this with adults that they can connect that voice with, you know, their fifth grade teacher, you know, their coach from ice skating in third grade, their, their mother, their, whomever it is that had told them this information. Oh, my parents always said that my brother was the athletic one and I, I didn't do athletics. So I thought I of myself as lazy, you know, the coming up with the reason and then being able to otherize that statement so that they can speak back to it and mm. even say, oh, hi, Joe. I remember yeah. you saying that to me in kindergarten that you told me I had a big nose and I was ugly. And that's actually not true for me. That's your opinion or that was, or you were angry. I told, told you, I took your blocks or whatever it was, but you take it off of yourself and then you realize that it doesn't have as much impact. 
Yeah. Does that feel like some yeah, synergetic? Very similar. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. It's just this idea of getting out of your head, getting mm-hmm. that distance. It's so, so helpful because mm-hmm. then, because when we're in it, right, when we're under the waterfall of our thoughts, they feel so true. Yes. They feel like, you know, the truth. Yes. Undone. Yes. And we have to believe them and we have to act on them right away, you know, and all of that stuff. And they're just, they're just words and pictures in our head. And so that as we can distance any kind of way we can distance, it's so, so helpful. I do a similar thing with like emotions, you know, like, oh, hello, anxiety, old friend. Yes. Yes. Are you know, and there's actually a great teaching from a te- the Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. He he taught to uh, imagine yourself holding your difficult feelings in your arms like a baby. And I thought that was so cool. Like mm. you're just holding it in front of you, and it's this like kind of caring thing. But it's like, oh, I see you, mm-hmm. and so that we can be. Then it also puts us in the place of the observer mm-hmm. of the thoughts rather than in the waterfall. Mm, I love that. I love that. That is is such a a really profound thought. And I, I of course, appreciate being able to take those thoughts off of you and, and hold them out in front of you. So you can look at them from a different perspective. So I know that you talk a lot about triggers, of course, because you're talking about mindfulness and meditation. I've admitted this before. This will come as no surprise to anybody else that one of my triggers is my children fighting with each other. They're 16 months apart and they can, woo, they know where each Mm. other's buttons are and Mm. they will push them all they can. They're, they're just very close in age. So it happens a lot. So how can we deal with our triggers in a productive way so that we don't add into the problem and lose our sauce when it happens and we know it's going to happen again? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think as as they first arise, sometimes it's hard to do, right? It's hard. comes out as a pattern. I think often our triggers, right? Like you notice that it's when they fight or I, you know, I had to notice when it was like, my daughter got really upset or, you know, with other people, it's like messes, you know, it's all kinds of mm-hmm. different things depending on how we grew up. But I think this is where it comes into the work of like, understanding your own childhood and it's not like anybody's like oh please sign me up i want to go delve (laughs) back into my childhood and figure it out like that's not super fun no but it's really really helpful to kind of take some time with that and talk about it with a therapist or just kind of journal on it or whatever and think about your own childhood think about how your parents reacted to you when you made mistakes, how they reacted to you when you did well, you know, how they handled chores around the house, all the different things kind of start to just dig into it. And you might, you'll start to notice, you know, you start to connect some dots. And then also the tried and true way is to say, oh, when am I completely overreacting (laughs) to something that is like really, really normal, like kids 16 months apart like arguing with each other Mm -hmm. relentlessly right like although that it would be you know that would be a stressor as well as it could be a stressor as well as a trigger so the difference is Mm -hmm. a stressor could be like i'm hungry i'm tired i haven't had an haven't had enough sleep my things are too messy and it's you know all of these things are, are can trigger stress in us kids are really loud and fighting that can be stressor 
a trigger is a little different in that it's something that you may have some unresolved healing from your childhood mm. and it triggers a response in you. My latest thing I've noticed is my defensiveness. I'm like, oh, I get triggered to be defensive on in certain things and I'm kind of noticing it. it's a little more subtle than my temper was, but it's mm -hmm. uh, it's still there. So when we start to say, oh, okay, I'm having this reaction and sometimes our family helps us see these things. So kind. <laughs> so kind of them. And, uh, and then we can say, okay, well, why is this? We journal on it. We talk about it and start to understand it. And so then we can, again, like that helps us to get that little bit of perspective, that little bit of distance from it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, hello, not being listened to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. trigger. Right. I see you there. And you feel like a child that no one listened to again. And mm -hmm. this is your stuff. Right. And then mm -hmm. we can start to take responsibility for it and say, oh, this is my thing. And I need a minute. And mm. most of the time, you know, 99% of the time we can take a moment and say, whew, I'm getting it feeling triggered. We could use that word if we want. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling overwhelmed, whatever it is. I need a minute and then start to take, take a minute to, to regulate and, and think through and, and use again, the whole brain. So we don't act on autopilot. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really important to be able to take that pause and, and even maybe saying to yourself that, you know, I, I need that pause. Uh, I, I need a minute. I'll come back to this in a moment. Walk, you know, you can move yourself, walk out of the room and uh, get a hold of yourself. And I, I really do work very hard on it right now. I don't always succeed, but I, I am so conscious of it now. Uh, and I guess that's part of the gift, right? I mean, it's like such a, it's like wrapped in the worst wrapping paper, but it's part of the gift that you can, when you can realize that you've been going down the same path over and over again, and then you start to recognize the pattern. It feels kind of crappy that you like look back and you're like, oh my gosh, I've made things worse many times. And now I'm going to try to make things better. So thank you for well, that. <laughs> There's a, there's, as you know, then there's another chapter in the book that's about a saying that I really love is called no mud, no Lotus. Mm. And that is really pertains to what we're talking about here. And the analogy is that the Lotus flower, which is the beautiful flower symbol of enlightenment has to be rooted down and go through the nasty black muck on the bottom of the pond to be able to grow and bloom into a beautiful flower. And mm. just like that, we need our difficulties. We need to mess up. We need to be human in order to grow that flower of compassion, of understanding in us. Like it's like the, it's like our vegetables and our beautiful flowers in our garden, they need compost, which is poop and rotten, nasty old vegetables. <laughs> So we need the poop yes. and the gross nasty, like, so we need it, right? Like we're, mm -hmm. if we did everything perfectly, we would be insufferable, judgmental people up on high pedestals, judging the rest of everybody mm -hmm. else. And when we're human, when, you know, uh, we can have compassion, we can have great compassion for others. We can have great compassion for our children. Um, and, and that's a huge gift that compassion and understanding, mm. um, is a huge gift for everyone. 
I think that's really helpful. Thank you for that. And I will take all the compassion and hand it out to all of my fabulous, amazing listeners, because I know that they can they can uh, really understand what we're talking about here. I, I would like to take that same compassion and and highlight a particular um, segment uh, because I, I would say I'm I'm part of the cliche here, like realizing what they meant when they said like little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems, as my children are now teens. And I was like, listen, like when my kids were little, I was like, holy moly. Okay. And now I'm like, holy moly. Like it's whatever you're <laughs> in. Right. Yep. So I, I certainly resonated with the beginning section, which was like why parenting isn't always fun or, or why you're not having fun parenting or whatever it was like that later on you, you say, and you, and you put in italics, teens don't rebel against parents. They rebel against the controlling authoritarian strategies that parents use. And you've, you've mentioned in the, you know, when I was, we were talking in the beginning that you have this beautiful relationship with your, with your teenagers. And that's amazing. I did hear from a, a couple of parents recently who, who felt like they're caught between a rock and a hard place. They're, you know, if their children are, are doing teenagery things, okay? They're they're things. It's not like they're out of the realm of typical teenagers, but risky choices. Um, maybe they're fourteen or fifteen or sixteen. They're maybe they were caught drinking, or um, they're becoming more like ex- sexually uh, promiscuous or exploratory, um, more secretive with parents. So somebody asked me. I know I'm supposed to step back, you know, and allowing my child to individuate, allowing my child to, you know, go in their own direction. I'm supposed to be more mindful of my behavior and, and separate from them in that way. So how am I supposed to step back when my child keeps pushing the boundaries? How am I supposed to be this mindful person and and be con- in control of these things when these things keep coming at me these new things that are making me think i i stink at parenting um where did i go mess up and all of that so how do you respond to somebody who is not finding things easier and in fact finding things very difficult yeah i mean that is probably more often the norm than you know the not and because yeah it's an incredibly hard time I'm not necessarily sure that, I mean, yeah, we want our kids to have more independence. That's true. Like they should be able to, you know, like go wander around the town, get some groceries by themselves, whatever, like get themselves rides to places, all kinds of things like that. But I don't think that necessarily we should be stepping back. We actually want to step into the relationship. We want to be there, I think, for our teens. You know, our teens, like you said, bigger kids, bigger problems. Same is happening in my life and in my with my kids, bigger kids, bigger problems. And they really need our influence in those years. And they'll accept our influence more when we are not using as much power over them, which by which I mean things like threats and punishments and things like that. When we can we can, you know, we can hold boundaries and that's totally, it's good for us to hold boundaries. But we, when we use things that are like, kind of like, like a punishment is like something that's kind of meant to make them feel bad or, or suffer, right. In some way, suffer some, some result that if it has nothing to do with what's, whatever has happened, 
then our kids just end up resenting us for that. And it ends up making them less likely to want to cooperate with us, less likely to talk to us when things get hard, things like that. So what our kids need as teens is they they need us to step in, to be really putting deposits into that relationship bank account, right? To be in relationship with them, to be on their team, on their side. And that may be hard if you've been in a pattern of fighting and being on the opposite side. So that's going to be a big change, but it doesn't, it's not impossible. It's always possible to turn around a relationship. I taught mindful parenting to um, in person to a low income uh, group in Delaware, where I live. And um, I had a grandmother there was there because she's taking care of her six-year-old child. And she ended up telling me at the end that she healed her relationship with her adult daughter, the mother of the child. And so it's possible and beneficial at every single age, no matter what has happened before, to heal that relationship. And so when things get hard, oh, sorry, found the little tick here. Yeah. Um, I'll just breathe for a moment. Hello, tick. Goodbye. So when things get hard, we have to take a we have to take a moment to give ourselves some time, give ourselves some compassion. This is hard right now. I'm having a hard time because of X, Y, Z. I'm going to ground myself. I'm going to do practices that help me stay more grounded and solid, like a nice solid mountain so that I can be a steady, peaceful presence for my family and the people I relate with and for my kids who are struggling too. And then look at your kids and say, okay, they're struggling right now. Be curious what's happening for them. I wonder why this is happening. How can I help? How can I be on their team? And so there's actually a tool that I teach in mindful parenting that is incredibly helpful for some of this, which is a practice. And it comes from the Plum Village community of Thich Nhat Hanh of beginning anew. And it can be a conversation. It can be a letter where you start out with, you maybe write to your teen and you tell them in the first part, everything you appreciate about them. You water their flower. You write what you appreciate, all the things you appreciate about them. And the second part, you share your own regrets. You share your regrets. You allow yourself to be vulnerable, to open up and be human. And then in the third part, this is where you can talk about your hurts and difficulties of what's maybe happening in the relationship without being exaggerating or accusatory or anything. And this kind of practice, especially in the form of a letter where someone can digest it on their own time, can be very, very healing. And, you know, I would just say I encourage parents of teens to shift into that relationship mode, to heal that relationship, to be on their side, and then work with your teens on on all these things. Really listen to them, really hear what they have to say, and really, really take care of yourself. That was so beautifully said. And I think that for people who are listening in right now, whether they feel like they can use that with their child or with their parent or with another family member, what a beautiful gift. Thank you so much for that. Can you give us your top tip? What would you hope people come away with after reading your book or listening to this podcast that you absolutely would love for them to do? 
I mean, I really believe that the most important thing that parents can do for their kids is to press pause, stay present, and connect, right? When we can stop our pause, our relentless going and doing, you know, trying to achieve, you know, when we can we can soften the the boundaries, the schedule, you know, like all can we when we can make a little space for that, when we can then practice to be present, right? Because this is the only place. That's the only place you can love your kids is in the present. If you're always going in the future, you're always reaching for the next thing, or you're always regretting the past, you're never going to be there to love your kids. And then to connect, like it really comes down to those, that mindset of like curiosity and kindness. Who are you right now? Can I be open to what is here right now? Can I be curious? And those things, those practices, they sound so simple and they sound like a little bit nebulous, I guess. But that's why I wrote this book is like, there are very, very practical, concrete ways to practice that, to, to do that. And that will make all the difference. Like you said in the beginning, way more than the big trips or the stuff or whatever, like, like F all that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's more about you know, today, like right now or later today, like when you connect with your kid, can you just like be really, really practice to, to be there as if this is the only moment there is. That's beautiful. And can you give us the resource of the week? Where can we go to get more information about you, your new book and the work you do? Sure. Um, you can find me at mindful mama mentor, um, on the internet and at mindful mama mentor and, you know, kind of most of the places you can find me, you can find the mindful mama podcast. Of course, you're a podcast listener. So come on over and listen to a podcast episode. And then you can find raising good humans every day, everywhere books are sold. Yes. We're so excited about your new book. And I just want to thank you for being on the show today and sharing your incredible knowledge about being mindful and meditation and how we can help to regulate our own emotions in order to help regulate our children's emotions. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much, Robin. And thank you for the work that you do helping parents. It makes a huge difference. And and I appreciate being here and I appreciate talking to you. Oh, thank you. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. You can come up on Facebook. We could talk about it, Dr. Robin Silverman, that that, that, Dr. Robin Silverman page. We can talk about it on Twitter. If we're still using Twitter under Dr. Robin, I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman and threads and all of the different places. Let's talk about it. I'm going to be going back and forth with Hunter, talk about her amazing book and all the great things that she said today. So if you love this podcast, like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about Hunter Clark Fields, her book, the great work she's doing, and all of our other podcasts. When you do a five-star review, people see it and the algorithm works really well. And that helps to get the podcast out to more people and our amazing guests into the homes of other people as well. I truly appreciate it. And if you are looking for some great books, you know we've got Raising Good Humans every day available anywhere books are sold. And while you're at it, how about How to Talk to Kids About Anything? You know that's coming out in October and I can't wait for you to read it. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts are up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well, along with all the links that Hunter talked about. So don't worry if you're running around, we've got you. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always a tomorrow. Now, this is a podcast that reminds us that we can start again. We can start anew, as Hunter was saying. And so please know that if you messed up, and I do it all the time, don't worry so much about the mess up. You can take steps to repair. You can do something differently. Parenting typically provides you with that ultimate do-over. So start today, start next week, whenever you're able. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parents you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.